0: In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Any questions before we jump into the readings for today? We closed off last week talking about the contrast between the old and the new commandment, and uh, how the commandment is is new in that it is uh, given to us by Christ, and in Him it is the new model of love. And so uh, we, we, ended, we ended there. Um, now we're going to pick up from verse nine. Okay. So if someone can just read for us nine, 10, and 11.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> he who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now he who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for him excuse me, there is no cause for stumbling in him but he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes
0: okay take a moment For you to read that on your own and then we'll discuss it. All right, what do you guys think?
1: What came up for me is that when you don't love your brother, I'm going to assume this is everyone, not just your Christian brother or sisters, but that you don't know where you're going because you're actually traveling on a path to hell. And you don't even realize it because mm-hmm. you, I'll say me, because, <laughs> because I'm so angry or determined that this person may have wronged me or whatever and they don't deserve to be loved or forgiven. But when I don't extend that love and forgiveness, then I'm really traveling on the road to hell, not just, you know, trying to mm-hmm. achieve justice.
0: Absolutely. And I like how you made the distinction of uh, loving our brothers in the sense of not just um, those who we qualify as brothers, or those who are even believers, but beyond that. Beyond, um, it's very similar in the sense of how Christ defined neighbor, right, Whenever we talk about the Good Samaritan. and. Uh, he says that your, your neighbor isn't necessarily the one that's close to you, but um even your enemies. So this this applies to to all, all people that, that we come across. What else? What are your what are your thoughts on those three verses?
2: Hmm. I don't remember which talk a couple of talks ago. You went back to Galatians when St. Paul says all the laws is fulfilled and you shall love your neighbor as yourself yeah and then here he says that if you love your brother there's no cause of stumbling
0: mm-hmm.
2: so it kind of reminds me of that verse
0: it, it, it's, it's very interesting that even this verse is no cause of stumbling so look, looking at the commentary for this it could be understood in in a couple of different ways so there's no cause for stumbling in him in the sense that he does not cause people to stumble so in him there's no cause for others to stumble right or he is not caused to stumble by others right so no one makes him stumble because he's in the light because he's walking with love he's walking with Christ Christ is the light and so being in the light he doesn't stumble. It's very similar to to our own lifestyle. Whenever it's dark, we're more likely to, to trip or fall. I was actually just going for a jog um, right before I came, and I, I rarely ever run, or especially outside, and when it's at, at night. But um, Marina had this brilliant idea of doing a 10K, so we we're. we're uh, training for it, so I figured I'd just get one quick little run before we do it, and uh, I'm, I'm going through um, the residential area, and sidewalks are <laughs> just a disaster, so like at ev- every every step I'm like attentively looking at where I'm stepping, and attentively looking at the ground, mm-hmm. and some blocks of the sidewalk is like elevated and you can barely even see which is elevated and which is not and then all of a sudden you find yourself like falling further than you expected the step to be. But all those things are easy, easily detectable in the light. At dark, that's like, that's when you're going to stumble. That's when you're more likely to fall. So it's obvious whenever we look at that concept in, in our life. Realistically speaking, but spiritually speaking, it may not be as obvious, but we are, when we are in Christ, we will not have those stumbles in the sense of making mistakes, falling, um, being stirred to anger, or jealousy, or judgment, or whatever it is, because we are in Him and in His love, so we don't stumble upon those, those sins. So that's the one side of it, Uh, and as I mentioned, the other side or or the other interpretation of it um, is that he does not cause others to stumble, he himself is a light, and so he's a model. He he leads people on the right path, and so he continues to light the way for other people so that they do not stumble by him. He's not hypocritical, Um, and, and that is by far... The biggest stumbling block especially for us christians because i don't know about you but i see more christians leaving the church not because what people are saying about christians outside the church but because of what's happening inside the church people come to the church and they see uh, a little bit of hypocrisy here or there and some people misrepresenting christ Um, they see jealousies or gossips within the church and that that is the biggest stumbling block right there. And so, the one who's in the light does not cause others to stumble because he doesn't live that hypocritical life but lives a genuine life of love and, and really does model Christ. Um, any other thoughts? How did you read it, by the way? Did you read it in the sense of being a light to others, Hmm. in the sense how you refer to St. Paul's Yeah, so you yourself wouldn't, you
2: know, you would be in the light and then you yourself wouldn't be in sin.
0: Yes. I think it typically tends to be how most people read it at first, but looking further into it, you'll probably um, catch the other interpretation of it as well, that he doesn't stumble himself, but he doesn't cause others to stumble either. Any
1: other thoughts? Yeah. I'm echoing what you just said, the scripture that came to mind for me, I don't know exactly where it is, but where it says, let others see your good works to glorify God. Yeah.
0: In, in his gospel as well. Okay. In St. John's gospel as well. Okay. Let's, let your light so shine that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Yeah it's it's uh, always how we conclude the gospel is the third hour of the day and uh, it's a very good point so your light is a glorification to God Amen. Yeah. all right so let's read from twelve to fourteen that's a it's a big big section but it's, it's all tied together. So he says a lot right there, but we read it all together and we'll reflect
3: on it. <coughs> I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for His name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known Him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known Him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, And the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Alright, as always,
0: we'll take a moment to read it again personally, and then we'll reflect on it. this is quite poetic in, in, in the way that he goes through every, every group the little children and the young men and the fathers and so uh, he kind of links a specific message to each group right? the reason why he's writing so what are your thoughts on the whole Passage right there.
3: Think
0: when
1: you know him, you forgive.
0: When you know him, you forgive. Mm. You're looking at the the little children, right? Yeah. Because your sins are forgiven, you. That's a, a it's a very uh, specific quality of children, <laughs> right? So they don't hold grudges. <laughs> no. So th- th- they're definitely to. I, I believe that group. The, the the groups is based on the, the faith or the how strong you are in your in your faith. Mm. Like you mentioned, little children doesn't mean age, right? Doesn't mean young people, right? Maybe the people still new, very good. in faith. And when he's speaking to the fathers, means the people with. Mature. Or, good faith, or mature in faith absolutely he's definitely speaking in a sense of our spiritual walk um, and um, the fathers actually understand this as, as a sense of like three different stages of our spiritual walk in, in, in the development of our growth um, but not necessarily that one Is uh, more superior to the other because both are uh, all three have their distinct values. Like being as a little child isn't necessarily inferior to being a young man or a father, Um, but it is a a spiritual quality that is different than the spiritual quality of the young men and the spiritual quality of uh, a father per se. So, like like you mentioned that the the little children are the ones who are starting the faith or have been renewed in their faith. So the ones that live a life of repentance are born again, right? This is what he says to Nicodemus. And he says, unless one is born again, he can by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And he says, well, how can can a man enter his mother's womb? And He says, no, unless one is born of water and spirit. Um, and, and so he's alluding to um, not just baptism but repentance. Because repentance is our washing away of our sins and being made new. St. Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he's, he's what? A new, A new creation. Old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. And so you're made new in repentance, and that's because we have received forgiveness. Of our sins for his name's sake so we're not receiving forgiveness for any other reason it's not because of the, the priest or not because of a good servant or uh, even angels or anyone it's it's him alone it's his blood that washes us and so in in this sense we we always Find that renewal whenever we're made into re- little children. We have that, that the new simplicity and the innocence, and the new start. Okay. What about the fathers? I write to you, fathers, because you have known Him,
3: who is from the beginning. So the reason why he one is past tense, one is present tense. Yeah, I write to you and I write
0: Yeah. I, I I looked I looked thoroughly into that and yeah. n- nobody said anything about it. I
1: actually wasn't asked questions. <laughs> yeah, 30, uh, yeah, like thirteen and fourteen,
0: exactly the same thing, but yes. wasn't the Yeah, yeah, why? So, so I, I think m- my personal um, conviction is that, practically speaking, who who is he writing to? Everybody, father. Who's this epistle written to? Remember from from the introduction of uh, this epistle, it, it's not technically for everyone. Yes, it can apply to everyone, but technically he's writing to a specific group, right? Let's jump ahead just a couple of verses. You'll you'll see how it's actually quite explicit let's go to verse 21 I have not written to you because you do not know the truth but because you know it and that no lie is of the truth so he's not writing to people outside of the church Remember we said that he's writing to the believers. Um, and, and this reflects um, the same audience of his gospel as well. Because who's his gospel written to? The believers. Uh, the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are, uh, are written to the Gentiles and to the Jews and uh, it's it's more so for like a general message to those who do not know Christ. But St. John assumes you have read the synoptics and have already believed in Christ. And so he's giving you a deeper message. That's why he doesn't really mention much of what Matthew, Mark and Luke said. He kind of like dives right in. It's why it's called the believer's gospel or the insider gospel. Okay, So in this case too, he already assumes that you know the truth. He says, I'm not writing to you because you don't know the truth. Like, you guys are the church goers. You guys are a part of the church. So I'm giving you a different message than those who are outside of church. He's telling a message very specific to, to a group of people. So, so I think in this case, he says, I write to you little children. I write to you fathers. I write to young men. Because he knows that those people are already there are already in the church. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. So now, more specifically to the fathers. I write to you fathers. Like we alluded to earlier, those are the ones who have matured in the faith. And so what is the indication, indicate, uh, of, indication of them being mature in the faith
3: you've known Him from the beginning
0: they've known Him from the it's like you've already had the start from the beginning you've known Him and when you have made God your father you're not a, a slave but a son and you grow and you mature into the, the same fatherhood you become like Him and so they, they are made Fathers, as they grow and mature, not by their own, not apart from Him, but they have come to know the true Father and can reflect Him, can reflect the love of God the Father. And so they are made like Him. So those are the ones who have matured. And so because of their maturity, they can be considered like Him. Does that make sense? They have known Him from the beginning. You've been walking with Him, you've known Him from the beginning, you've been in His light, you've become a loving Father, as Christ has revealed to us the love of God the Father. Okay? Young men, what's the deal here? I write to you, young men. Why? You've overcome the other Okay, what's the
3: deal there? Why specifically to the young men that they've overcome the wicked one? It's an ongoing battle in like the spiritual warfare. So for you to okay. kind of graduate into kind of the fatherhood stage, yeah. right? You have to over you had to overcome a lot because it's probably the toughest stage more or less. Yeah, between the other three. So if you think of
0: um, the progression of strength here, okay, just look at me and my dad. Okay, the perfect example, who's stronger? <laughs> 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 of course, my dad, but, you know, I'm only saying that because he's here. If he's not here, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be bragging a little bit. <laughs> but, you know, like, strength is, is very distinct to youth, right? The youth are strong, the youth are energetic, the youth are... Uh, Hyper and they're you know full of life and they have a lot of strength. So Those are the fighters. Those are the warriors. Um, and and this goes back to what I mentioned earlier that these aren't three levels of superiorities, but three distinct qualities of the spiritual life and the spiritual growth. That one is innocence and purity and repentance like we see in little children it's not any less than the the wisdom and the maturity of a father and that's not any less than the strength of a warrior or a young mighty man and so those are all different qualities of our progression through the spiritual path but not, not, not that one is more superior or not that one um, comes before or after the other, all these three grow in sync with one another, all these three develop um, as you grow and become um, in, in reflection of his fatherly love, you go back to repent as a little child and kind of jumping back and forth to have a dynamic um, process throughout your growth and so he's writing he, he's writing to the young men because they've overcome the wicked ones so he's speaking each person's language right he's kind of relating to the the struggles of each person's spiritual walk the young men have a, spir, a, a d- different um, struggle than the fathers than the little children um, he's, he's relating to each person's um Forte, you know the little children. Their, their forte is that innocence and the repentance, and they don't hold grudges. That's their virtue. So he wants to bring that out in them. So he's very uh, attentive to to relating to his audience, to how to relate to his audience, and that 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 always brings me back to this approach, at least always brings me back to Saint. Paul's words when he says to the Jews I've become a Jew and to the weak I've become as we get it, to, I've become all things to all men that I might win some so this this idea of like relating to people um, bringing out um, what really connects to them for the little children he brings out something that relates to them that their sins have been forgiven they, they, they get that you know the, the fathers, they get that they reflect the love of God the Father and the, the young men, like what better to relate to them than to talk about their strength because that's pretty much all they care about, like a, like a young guy that playing sports, whatever it is. So in our walk, how can we relate to others in this way? The same way that St. John is writing, obviously we're not going to go and write epistles to people, but in our interactions, how, how does this come to life in our day-to-day life?
3: could be forgiving others, right? Mm. Short, kind of forgiving, forget kind of like the little children, right? Hmm. Um, and then in terms of fathers reflecting the father's love to others, so that could be... Um, just how you interact with them, how you um, speak to them, how you welcome them, whatever the case may be. Um, and on the the young men front is just um, for you personally is just to remember because a part of, I think the last piece of it you're strong and the word of God abides in you. I don't think I think you added that God, of, you know, the word of God abides in you. It didn't add it the first time. But I think you can't really overcome the wicked one, and you can't really be strong if you're not abiding in God's word. Right. Right. So it's more of, um, even if you're a father, even if you're a little child, whatever the case may be, is that it's important to abide in Him and to Mm -hmm. kind of lead people towards that direction in a way. Very good. So there isn't much sense
0: in. straying from the very basics like in, in all cases we abide in him in all cases we reflect his love and that, that's like the baseline
3: anything else you guys want to add to that? I think something important and correct me if I'm wrong but since this is more talking about the spiritual state as opposed to um, as opposed to like, Physical, physical. Um, I'm guessing because it comes across as he's talking to males, but I'm guessing, plus to females just as just as well, since it's a more of a spiritual.
0: Yes, yes. Oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. That's a very good point to to make because that could be overlooked unintentionally, of course. So Saint Cyril kind of put this all together. Says the young men are models of courage, right? So that courage or the strength or the bravery. The elders are models of understanding, like an elder who's grown in wisdom, right? And the sons and daughters are models of what it means to be children in Christ. Okay, so that's just like a little summary of how Saint John relates to each group or, or each. Um, condition of our spirituality um, and, and I think like I said we, could, we can be all, the, all of these things we can be young men because we can all be courageous we can be um, elders because we can all model understanding and the, the fatherly love um, that, that Christ revealed to us and we could all be children in Christ um, when we accept the, the, that life of repentance and forgiveness and model that innocence that children model, never to hold grudges and to be quick to forgive, just to have that purity. Okay, any uh, comments there? No. He repeats those three categories, if you would, but in a different sense. He says, he goes back to little children, he says, I write to you little children, the first time he says, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake, but here he says, because you have known the Father. Then he goes to the fathers, I write to you fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I've written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the Word of God abides in you. And I think this is exactly what Jack was alluding to, that this is kind of the, the common denominator, that all know Him, and and when you come to the young men, it doesn't say just because you're strong, but because the Word of God abides in you, and that's essentially what it means to know Him, to abide in Him, to experience Him. And we... Uh, talked about this last week when we defined what knowing him really means right it's personal experience personal relationship so that's the common denominator of these these categories you know there are specific qualities but in every category it's about a relationship it's about experience it's about abiding in him and and yes that could look differently whenever um, each person's unique virtues are expressed but it always comes down to having true knowledge of Christ being in his light, being in his truth that's the same like cyclic sort of truth that keeps repeating throughout this epistle being in his light, knowing him abiding in his truth um, obeying his commandments the, the, the this epistle is a bit cyclic, so it's going to continue to repeat. Okay. It's good, though, to kind of drill the point home. <laughs> Alright, so 15 to 17. Once again, we'll read it a second time, so just take a moment to that and we'll reflect on it. Alright, what comes to mind?
2: Very strong words.
0: <laughs> it is. Yeah. It's a strong passage. A very tough passage.
2: Do you that? recognize this? The Catholic
3: That's... epistle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: You're right, it's the conclusion of every Catholic epistle. Okay. So we read this every liturgy. Sometimes the deacon just kind of races through it because it's the very end, and uh, it's, it's literally the concluding phrase. So he's finished the, the actual Catholic Epistle reading, because the Catholic Epistle reading may not be from St. John, but he'll always end with this verse from St. John. Do you not love the world, or the and the kind of just like race through it. Do not love the the yeah. of the world, and of the world, the... I mean... And then the <laughs> singing, uh, yeah, they they him. start singing to hymns before he even like finishes... <laughs> half of that verse
1: so no one really catches it <laughs> nobody wanted to catch it yeah like, yalla
3: <laughs> you go ahead Jack what were you going to say I was saying he summarized the world in three phases right it's so the flesh, flesh of the eyes and, of the... Mm-hmm. Uh, and the pride so and if you really think about it like everything kind of whether it's that we're attached to or a lot of these sins are kind of tied to these things, like kind of three pillars of... Yes. It kind of just puts everything together, like... Absolutely. If you've, you know, any if you're attached to any of these, then you're not really in the Father at all. The the
0: sins of the world are all encompassed in these three things. Yep. Like, He covered His bases right here. Now. Why why not love the world?
2: Yeah, I would have the same picture Good, I to <laughs> yeah, beat you <laughs> <it>. <laughs> Yeah, but
0: still we have to open the life world We love to be in a good place, go out some right. fun, something right. like that yeah, You, know, love, you, you love all these things A lot of, I guess uh, Innocent loves. <laughs> <It's an> evil. <laughs> I mean whatever in the world is not, doesn't it, mean. It is whatever in the world evil. Evil. that what that mean. Not love the world. What do you guys think?
2: Steve? There's got to be obviously separate things when it comes to the word world because John 3.16 says for God so loved the world. Exactly.
0: Exactly. Exactly. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That's whoever believes in Him may not perish but have eternal life. So here is quite a paradox. God loves the world and then He comes and tells us don't do that. (laughs) So what do you make of that?
3: Don't attach to the world. You can love the world but don't attach to it. Don't make it.
0: Perfect. That's a very good distinction. That your attachment is really at the heart of the matter but so my question still remains why not be attached if that's how we're going to qualify love for the world why why not be attached to the world what's can't two masters right mm-hmm. so very good you you're going to be attached to one thing or another. You're going to serve one thing or another. You're going to love one thing or another. Um, this this even comes a, a little softer than other places. Because here he says, do not love the world. Other places he says, he uses the word hate. Right? To, to even hate father and mother, brother and sister, even yourself. He says, he who loves his life will lose it, but he who hates his life will find it. So, here is more of like the nicer way to go about it. Do not love the world. But we can even take it a step further where the scriptures are a little bit bolder, if you would, and they they say to even hate the world. We we cannot be attached to... To anything in the world or serve anything in the world because of the nature of the world, because how the world really is. So, what do I mean by that? Let's look at what um, Bishop Hilary of Arles says A wise father warns his children not to love things which quickly vanish away the wisdom is the crown and glory of the supreme maker of all things and it's well suited to everyone who is righteous so a wise father warns his children not to love things which quickly vanish away that's the nature of the world I mean he even clarifies that here he gives us the reason as to why not to not, to not love the world. So, he says, the world is vanishing. Why would you fall in love with something that today is with you but tomorrow is not? Everything in the world is vanishing. Even we ourselves are not going to live on earth forever. Right? And that's why he says... Unless one hates father, mother, brother, sister, and even himself, he can by no means be my disciple. Because our love is not dependent on things in this world or even our our closest relatives. What happens when our relatives pass away, and God willing, are in paradise waiting for us. Is now my joy going to be eliminated? Am I going to lose my peace? And I'm not saying it's going to be easy and we don't mourn and we don't uh, process the loss. Of course, it's part of life. But what happens whenever something I cherish and value and love so much in this world, even if it's a person. I'm not saying something that's bad. I'm saying even something good. What happens when it's gone? Will my condition change? That's, that's the determining factor of how deeply rooted I am in the love of Christ. And so I say, Paul, I said, I counted all things as rubbish, as loss, to gain Christ. Everything, I counted all as loss to gain Christ. Even that which I have. I know, um, I know parents um, that have gone through maybe one of the worst things I can imagine, that's to lose their own child. And I'm completely sympathetic. I can't imagine how difficult that is. And it does take time. But what happens to these parents whenever they cannot live the next day without God's joy and peace? Because they still can't separate from... Their, their attachment to their son or daughter and that's tough I, I'm, trust me I'm not heartless I'm not saying that oh, get over obviously not but what happens when years and years and years pass and you have no joy you have no peace you can't get out of the house you're still stuck in that same like dark gloom. There, there must have been a problem with the attachment from the start. When, when, when Rebecca was being tortured, they brought her children, five of them, they said, if you don't deny your faith, we're going to mur- murder your kids. She said, I'll be glad for them to receive the crown of martyrdom. And she wasn't heartless. <laughs> like These are her children. She would die for them herself. But she watched her children give up their life for Christ. And uh, I'm sure it was bittersweet. Um, but her love for Christ was the foundation it was deeply rooted and i think whenever our love for christ is so deeply rooted it's easy to say do not love the world it's easy to say i'm not attached to this but if our love for christ is not there we find other things to compensate for that that longing that is like Intrinsic to our heart, like our heart is is designed with a longing to love and to be loved, and when it 's not fixed in Christ, it can be fixed in other things, whether it 's worldly possessions and and by the way i 'm not talking about being attached to cars and money and things like that i 'm talking about important things I, I, the, the example I chose to use was family members so Obviously, the other stuff goes without saying. But we're we're past that, hopefully. (laughs) We're talking to the believers. We're past being attached to money and clothes and all that nonsense. But now, even the useful things, we shouldn't be attached to. That's why we fast. Food is good, but we're not attached to food. We're free from that attachment. We're free from being under that that influence to be affected by our attachment to anything i hope that wasn't too bold or (laughs) do you have anything to add
1: i i really appreciate that um you know because i lost my sister several months ago And I was a little angry with God. It's like, why did you allow this to happen? She's a missionary. Her and her husband are serving you, blah, blah, blah. And God said, we're living to live again, right? So why would I be upset? Of course, I miss her and I love her. But why would I be upset if she's in paradise, right? Why would I be upset if she actually has what she's longed for? And then God gave me a vision of her seeing his face and... Why would I want to go back to that? Like, why would she want to be here when she has an opportunity to live in paradise with the Lord? So I had to check myself. And my faith, it's like, what are you really living for? Of course I love her. Of course I love my family or anyone else that I care about. I, I don't want to see them die. But ultimately, yes we're living to live again and not to be attached to anything in this world and I had a vision of her not being attached even to her husband, 14 years, to know um, I'll see him again, he's going to be okay but this is paradise and her and baby are happy um, so
0: that's tough, but that's uh, yeah. a powerful testimony yeah thank you for sharing mm-hmm. and I, I, I'm sure it wasn't easy to to reach the point of Peace with the situation, and the point of just acceptance and surrender. But, like you mentioned, a very critical word, which is faith, mm-hmm. because your faith in Him still providing, your faith in Him still taking care of her, her family, being in in heaven, your faith in the afterlife, your faith in what is to come. Right. Because if you don't believe in that, then you're going to be attached here.
1: But that's what we're living for. Anyway, that's what we're living for. Not anything
0: mm-hmm. here. So. That's faith. To keep in mind what we're living for, mm-hmm. and that's what's so fragile, because if that faith is strong, we won't be attached. But so often we lose sight of that. We lose sight of what we're living for. Our faith is shaken, and instead of looking at the life to come, we are looking at the things here and now. Any other thoughts, comments? I hope I didn't offend anyone if I was a, a, a little bold about it, but um...
2: i going to one. Can I dig a little bit deeper? Oh, please do. So, um... Having... Being able to not be attached when you have faith that you know, for instance, if you're attached to a person and your faith that that person has moved on to what the hope is anyways, but what about the tragedies for those like clearly not walking with Christ Hmm. and then tragedy strikes there, to to be able to make peace in those moments. Hmm.
0: That's tough. What do you guys think? Very, very good question. And what do you know? We're out of time, so we're just going <laughs> to... <laughs> I'm just kidding. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll wrap up with this question before we want. on. Go ahead.
1: I know my father, of confession, Abuna Daniel happy he told me that our church teaches that we don't know where people go once they die. And that's why we pray for the the departed, even if they weren't walking with Christ, so you never know, I don't know if this is true, but you never know if they still have an opportunity to accept Christ, you never know where they were in that moment, you just don't know, so that's why we pray for them, so that maybe God will give them another chance, or if they have a chance to repent, because... I guess none of us have never gone to come back to say this is what happened. <laughs> but that God is still merciful. And
0: I don't know if that's Yeah, right. well, that's true. Um, in Isaiah, he says, Before they call, I will answer. While they're yet speaking, I will hear their voices. So he hears our prayers for those who have departed before they have departed. He takes into account our prayers before the judgment. Um, before their final moments and we continue to pray for those people and and I'm not saying that's going to eliminate the tragedies that's obviously not going to just fix everything and there's our consolation, end of the story Um, I I think the Christian always lives um, with that sort of tension where he rejoices in salvation Yet, in his heart it still burns for the the darkness in the world, and that's not a lack of faith, but the the Christian is it is still in the world but not attached to the world and because he's in the world, he can relate to all of those who are in the world and His heart goes out to all of those in in the world. So we always think of a monk who goes out to leave the world, goes out to the desert to leave the world, but does so for the sake of the world. So he goes out to be alone, but only to lift up the world in his prayers. And so because he is, is fixed in his faith for the eternal life, and he rejoices in and the salvation God has given him, he is still mourning and repenting, not for himself, but he offers repentance for the whole world. And th- th- I think every Christian has to live with that sort of tension, where his joy is still checked by the the repentance he offers for the rest of humanity. And uh, that, that is not obviously a solution for the tragedy of the world but it is the, the only way we can treat the issue it's not a cure but it gives us a bigger responsibility because we will not just be held accountable for our own salvation but we will be accountable for how our light has paved the path of others or whether we've left others in the dark to stumble
3: I think in those tragedy, tragedies, God provides like additional grace, right? Okay. In these situations, just because, like, He knows how it feels. I think He's even more in pain than we would probably, you know, ever be. Even when Jonah was upset about the plant, He told him, you know, you are upset about a plant, but you know, like, how do I feel about 120, whatever thousand? Yeah. They can't tell their right from their left. Right, right. So it's kind of, uh, he's he's he mourns, and he uh, and he's in pain even more so than we are, and because of he because of his understanding in that situation, I feel like he gives additional grace, Absolutely. additional comfort during those times. That's
0: that's such a good point. If anything, I would say that's probably our greatest consolation. Knowing that he died for the world, knowing that those who have, have passed away were still considered worth his blood because he died for them and he spilled his blood for them. So we do handle the situation as best as we can in our end, but knowing that, I think that's a very good point, knowing that he cares to that extent. Um probably console us better than anything else um, seeing his love on the cross not just for me and not just for the righteous but he came for sinners he came for sin. he came for the last sheep and he mourned whenever uh, he saw it, he looked at Jerusalem and how the condition of Jerusalem was and he said how I wish to gather you as, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and he mourned over that, their condition, and so he sympathized with us. Hebrews says, We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our pains, but was in every way afflicted as we were. So he can sympathize and, and just keep that in mind and continue to pray. So we'll, we'll stop there. And uh, yeah, go ahead.
1: Can you um, tell me the. the um verse
0: in Isaiah that you were referring to yes it's Isaiah 65 ooh, 24 maybe <laughs> hang on hmm yes yeah.
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> Bravo. Bravo. I, I, uh, I've held that verse very dear to my heart because uh, number one just reminds me the, of the power of prayer and how it's beyond time and God's love and compassion to always be attentive to our words before we even utter a single word so don't discredit your timing as poor as it may be (laughs) don't
1: discredit your
0: timing yeah sometimes people will say that was bad timing in my prayer a little too late you know the the, the phrase too little too late doesn't really apply to prayers too little too late doesn't apply to God's timing because He's above time yesterday, today, and tomorrow are his one moment for him, so there's no such thing as that alright let's take five minutes to reflect and I want you to remind me uh, next week I want to start with just a little bit of clarification on the word love um, because we never answered the question about um, God's love for the world right, because he says God so loved the world but here he says do not love the world so uh, I want to dwell a little bit more on that word before we move on um, to the next part. I take five minutes to just reflect on what we discussed today, and we'll uh, we'll, we'll wrap up in place.